When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard Show with co-host Catherine Brandt, Alex Brandt-Bernard Rasmussen, Mike Bellina, and Andy Brandt-Bernard. And we will be right back, kick off Hour 3. What do you know? The, the women are here for one segment. And then two segments. And then we have a guest, Zara Hayes, that comes up uh, in the final segment. So we're in great shape. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt. Then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company. And they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Due to the billions of marketing dollars spent by Walzer Automotive on Tom Bernard Podcast, you hopefully know that Walzer sells cars. What you might not know is that they also have two full-service collision repair centers in the Twin Cities. They're fully certified by all insurance carriers and can help you navigate all the paperwork if you ever have an accident. But wait, there's more. They've also been in the paintless dent repair business for nearly 30 years and can take those pesky dings out for just a fraction of what traditional bodywork costs. Broken windshield? Walzer Collision is a fleet of full-service mobile glass repair trucks as well, Walzer are pros at body and glass repair, but don't take my word for it. They have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and a nearly perfect 4.8 Google rating. Check them out at walzercollision.com. Frosty the snowman was a jolly happy soul With a corncob pipe and a button nose And his eyes made out of coal Frosty the snowman made the children laugh and play. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Hour three. Before their eyes, he came to life that day. 
There must have been some magic in that. Okay, let's fade her away. I'll fade her away. It's been quite the day. There so we far. go. Uh, in any case, the women are here now, so here we can we, we can say in front of you guys that we have picked up another affiliate. KDAL AM and FM in Duluth, Minnesota. They uh, will be joining the fold on January 2nd. Looking forward to that. Good people to work with. Went up and had a nice dinner with everybody up there uh, about almost two weeks ago now. Well, it is two weeks ago now. Yeah, they were very nice. Very, very nice time. Is Mr. Wagner ready to go? Sounds like it. Robert Wagner joins us, ladies and gentlemen. How are you, sir? Good afternoon. How are you? Marvelous. I will tell you, it's, it's very, very exciting because I do uh, a morning show, and then I do an afternoon show, it's, which is syndicated in the uh, in the area. And uh, my wife, our daughter, and our son are on this show. And I, to- oh. I told them, and I'll, very seriously, I said, I interviewed Robert Wagner. This is a couple of weeks ago. I had so much fun talking to you on my morning show. And we close it with, do you ever stand in front of the mirror and just look at yourself and go, damn, I'm handsome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you? That was very funny. (laughs) So now my wife and our our daughter and our son are here to to join. I was telling everybody, Robert, I was very, very impressed with you as an interview. You're very relaxed and you do a great job with interviews. Some people are either they're not interested or they rush through it or whatever, but you're, you're a very easy person to interview. Well, thank you, Tom. But you know, uh, it's the man, it's the people that interview you that are important. You know, if they, if uh, the questions are good and things like that, and you, you were great. I really enjoyed it. Oh, we had such a I such a ball when you so were your, on. Your son and daughter are on the show now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, 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 well, that, oh, there you are. Ah, how are you doing today? Marvelous. How are you? Good. Great. 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 Yeah, and, and by the way, our son Andy looks in the mirror and goes. God, am I handsome. He does that, too, so he's got that in common with you. And, uh, hey, Andy, I, I'll bet you're doing okay. Believe me. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I love this whole idea. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Robert Wagner, the legendary Robert Wagner with us. I loved her in the movies, Memories of Hollywood's Legendary Actresses, now in oh, paperback. God. Yeah, you've, been, you've acted with everybody. Well, yes, I've been so fortunate with that, you know, and... Uh, I told Tom when we did the interview that uh, uh, my co-author, Scott, and I started talking about all the wonderful leading ladies that I've had the privilege of uh, working with. And he said, why don't we talk about that a little bit? Maybe we could make a book out of it. And Hmm. so we put down four or five ladies and sent it into uh, our literary agent, and he responded to it very positively, and off we went. That's great. So that's how the book started. I, I couldn't do all of them, you know, but right uh, because I, I did. I worked with so many great leading ladies in, in television, you know. But uh, these uh, these ladies are really terrific, and I wanted to pay a tribute to them. They were wonderful to me. Film and television actor Robert Wagner shares an intimate and revealing account of the great women movie stars he's worked with during his sixty years. You started acting when you were. One year old. <laughs> hey, thank you. I'm going to tell Jill that. Uh, yeah, tell Jill. Yeah, tell, he was yeah. doing diaper yeah. commercials. Don't you remember? <laughs> yes, he was in his very first diaper commercial. <laughs> uh, Sixty years in the industry, from Betty Davis and Marilyn Monroe to Raquel Welch, Glenn Close, and many more, including two actresses whom he ultimately married: Natalie Wood, of course, and currently Jill St. John. It's been a wonderful life, Robert. I've been very fortunate. I'm uh, very fortunate, and. Uh, 
you know, um, this is, uh, I've been so lucky, you know, the careers are so luck, and life is so, you know, it can be so fortunate, sometimes you just get, you just get great lucky breaks in life, and uh, I don't know, it's all kind of filtered down on me in a be- beautiful way, and uh, I'm very fortunate, believe me. Robert, where'd you grow up? I grew up, uh, well, in my, when I was a little boy, I grew up in Michigan. Oh, okay. I was going to say the Midwest. My father moved uh, from there to uh, California, and then I grew up in, in, uh, in California, in oh. uh, Los Angeles. My wife just said she could tell that you you had Midwestern values, however. You, you, Midwestern roots. Midwestern oh, roots. Yeah. I don't know why. Uh, I just got a vibe. Oh, really? Well, that's a good one. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I was just back there. I was just back in uh, Michigan. Um, uh, my son-in-law was born up in uh, Traverse City, and he leased a home up there for a couple of weeks and asked me to join them and so I was up on the lake and it was so beautiful. Oh, yeah. So great to be back up there. It is beautiful. Great country. You know, it is a wonderful place. Michigan, well, the entire Midwest is a wonderful place. And it, it, oh, please. It, and it, I, I like to get back there too, you know. It's so, it's such a great part of the world and a great part of our country. Now, what was the first role that you ever got? The first role that I ever got Speaking role. First speaking. <laughs> uh, now don't brag again, Robert. I... You just stand there and look good. You, you don't have to brag about it. No, but I, I, I worked as an extra for about a year. Oh, did you and, really? Yeah. So, you know, sometimes I'll I'll be watching uh, Turner Classic movies and I'll I'll see uh, I'll remember a picture I was in and I'll say to July say there there I am there oh, oh, and I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I really wasn't it. <laughs> the first picture I had my name on the screen, and I had a speaking role was in a picture called "The Halls of Montezuma." Oh God, with, great movie! With Richard Woodmark, and he, yep. he was such a great friend of mine. As we, uh, I eventually I, later on in life, I, I bought. He, he had a farm out in uh, in uh, Hidden Valley, out in California, and I bought. He had some of his acreage for sale, and I bought it, and we farmed together out there. And I had a wonderful time. He, he, was a, he was one of the best guys I ever knew. He was a terrific fellow. Robert, is it stunning as a young man, all of a sudden you go, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a movie with Richard Widmark. I'm a, I mean, that's got to be pretty amazing going to bed that first night going, I, I actually think I've made it. Yeah, well, it's, I, I, had a, I had a tough time with that, Tom. Yeah, sure. You know, I, 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 I to get that out of my mind that I was doing a picture. I was in a movie with, with Richard Mid- Woodmark, and I'd seen him on the screen so much. And then I, I did a picture with Spencer Tracy, and uh, Dick and I played brothers. Man. And uh, there I was standing between Spencer Tracy and Richard Woodmark, wow. you know, yeah. and trying to th- say, not remember the pictures I'd seen them in, and not saying, geez, I'm working with Spencer Tracy. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah, oh, I absolutely know. Yeah, it's a hard thing to do, you know? Well, it is. I mean, I, I, even though, you know, I'm not uh, a teenager any longer, it, it, to talk, you know, to sit and talk to Robert Wagner and say, hey, Tom, how you doing? It, it's, it, it feels different. You know, even though I've been doing this for, I, I think I, I told you already uh, last week, 40, I've been doing this for 47 years in this particular show. I know, show you told for, me, my God. Yeah, and and still after all that time, when you talk to legends like yourself, it's it's always interesting to hear to hear people like you say, "Well, Tom, uh, that was fun." You know, it's yeah, that stuff you, is really. You you love what you were doing. We were talking about that. Oh, you know, I remember, do. 
I said to you, you know, I, I always wanted to be an actor, and you said you always wanted to be in radio. Yep. And, and, and so it's not like going to work. It's it's like it's your it's your life. You you know you've extended your you've been very lucky to have it all happen and, and have it work. And how great that is, huh? It is, and it's just a thrill to sit and and, and do interviews every day. I did learn and, how. And to... Now you're doing this. Now you're doing this show with your family. This is terrific. Oh, I really love terrific. this. I really terrific. I do. I love working with my family, and I, I, I'm, I'm so proud. Somebody asked me the other day, where did you learn how to interview people? I said, by watching, when I was a little boy, 10, 11, 12 years old, by watching Johnny Carson. He was the best I've ever seen. Oh, he was, he was the best. Great. He was really the best. He really, he looked right in your eyes, and he, he was, you felt like you were the only one on the show. Is your son Andy going to continue on? Are you going to go on to uh, follow your dad's footsteps? Well, I guess I kind of already am, since... Here I am. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Hey, that's great. Really it is wonderful. It is a wonderful thing. Uh, there's, there's no good. So, as far as being a, an author now, writing, writing books and all the rest of it, that must be enjoy. To just look back at, at your life with some of these magnificent actors and actresses. We talked about, uh, you know, Betty Davis, Marilyn Monroe, Raquel Welsh, Glenn Close. Obviously, your wives. Uh, what a thrill! Yeah, it's been absolutely. So fortunate, and it has been thrilling. And you know, I I just uh, I didn't I just don't know where it came from. I mean, it's just kind of I've been so lucky with that. You know, I really have worked with some wonderful, wonderful ladies, and and uh, they 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 gave up a lot for all of us. And we talked about that the last time when I talked with you, and they gave up so much, you know, mm-hmm. and they got a lot. Yes, in, in return, because they were highly respected and all of that, but it's very difficult to be a woman and to be uh, a successful actress or be a successful anything and be a lover and a mother and, you know, carry out, be able to run a home. And I mean, it's very, very difficult, much more difficult for them than for for the actors, I believe. Well, we, did talk, we did talk briefly about the fact that right now all of this... Uh, News is coming out, and today's been another day when it's just pouring out about women who have been ab- abused in politics and women who've been abused in in Hollywood, and the it NFL. is much tougher for women. Well, it's been going on for a long time, you know. Yep. I mean, this is not a this is not something new, but I, I as I said, you know, to you, it, it the, the courage of these women to step up mm-hmm. and say this happened to me, and and to. to put themselves out there like that is is a tremendous thing i have three daughters and when i was raising them i was very concerned about this i was very concerned about you know uh, being them being taken advantage of and how they would deal with it Mm -hmm. and uh it uh i'm so glad that it's come forward and it's becoming such a predominant thing right now and i i think this is very good for for everyone, everyone did, concerned. Did you watch Feud by chance? Ooh, good question. Did I wish, watch what? Feud. The Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Yes, I did watch that. Do you feel like that was an accurate portrayal of their lives? No, I didn't. No, really? I, didn't. I thought I thought they took a lot of uh, a lot of liberties with that to be able to make it uh, roll. Even though some of those stories were true, but some of them weren't. You know, I mean, I thought they they took a. Uh, they took a, a big liberty, you know, by be, saying that they were there when 
these scenes took place. I thought that it worked. I thought I thought it worked dramatically. I thought that you know it worked dramatically very well. I mean, you know, Ryan Murphy's a very good pr- producer, mm-hmm. and uh, but I, I thought that they took a lot of license with that. Well, that's really and interesting. And I thought the performances were great. Mm-hmm. I thought the two ladies were just sensational. Yeah. Now that is very true. Uh, I just I, Betty Davis had so much personality. Did she have that much personality? Which probably had even more personality off off screen. Yes, yes, she did. Just she very... was terrific. She was a wonderful woman. She she had a great sense of humor, and uh, she worked very hard. You know, created that. I mean, when you think about the the way that she stepped forward when there was no f- feminism, feminism wasn't even thought of then. You know, right. I mean, she stepped out there and took the bull by the horns, and uh, she made a, a big, a big, big uh, impression. You know, Robert Munro, my favorite, and also you talk in your book, I loved her in the movies. You talk about Marilyn Monroe. My favorite Marilyn Monroe story is hearing about she returning from her honeymoon with her then-husband, Joe DiMaggio, and as they were getting off the plane, there were fans everywhere, and they were cheering and yeah. Marilyn Monroe said to Joe DiMaggio, well, I'm sorry, honey, I suppose you're not used to this. And he goes, yeah, I kind of am. Wasn't it, you've never heard anything like it. Yeah, you've never heard anything oh, like it. That's exactly yeah. right, sir. That's yeah. I, just, uh, I just got a book on Marilyn Monroe, and, you know, there's been so many things printed about her. And, yeah. You know, it's just, uh, again, it... Um, you know, I think the, the speculation, I guess mm-hmm. that's the word, you know, yeah. what, what took place is, uh, you know, but she, she was great. I, when, when I knew her, you know, we were all young and starting off in the picture business and eager to be recognized and thought of and have a career. And she had a tremendous personality and she, she was fun, you know. She laughed a lot. You know, I think it's a wonderful thing you're doing, Robert, because t- coming out talking about your book, I loved her in the movies, Memories of Hollywood's Legendary Actresses, a guy like Robert Wagner coming forward and talking about what a thrill and what a pleasure it was to work with other people, and this was not all about me. I think it's a great lesson for young actors and actresses everywhere. Well, it, it can't be all about you because you can't do it without someone else. You know, you're out there and you're putting it all out, uh, and, and you need a partner. And I had some great people to work with, you know. Well, I'll, I look forward to the next time you and I talk. I tell you, you have hey, to write thanks, it up. I, I, I do too, and I and uh, it's so nice to talk with your wife and your son. And thank you. You just all take care of yourselves and have a great holiday. I'm sure you will. Merry Christmas yes, to too. you, absolutely, and, Alex. And, Al, say goodbye to Robert, Alex. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> you take care of yourself, Alex. You and too. Have a wonderful new and happy, happy, happy New Year. And a healthy new year, okay? Happy I'll try year, my sir. darndest. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so <laughs> much for having me with you. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Robert Wagner, I loved her in the movies. Isn't he a big Yeah, you guy? have no idea what a big... I mean, he was the Huge. biggest star. I mean, it was ridiculous. Have you ever seen, you ever seen him, Alex? No, maybe. You might want to bring up a picture. I he, think he's I a, recognized a picture of him. Was he on um, the... Uh, oh, yeah. What's it called? The That island where everyone's a number? I don't know where everyone was. Tell you what, we need to take a break here. We'll come back and talk about that right yeah. after this. Tom Bernard right. Show. 
I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking. They always say the relationship with a client. Case in point, True North Oral Surgery and Implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice. Their banker, Julie Marshall, knows the ins and outs of what they do. So when they need working capital, an equipment loan, or funds for expansion, they call Julie. Are you looking for a banker you can count on? Give us a call. North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. LASIK changed my life. Dr. David Whiting changed my life. He can get rid of those contacts, get rid of those glasses, and truly change your life. He's performed over 100,000 LASIK procedures, so there's no one else around who can compare. Let me tell you, if you're thinking about having your eyes corrected, check out Dr. Whiting and the folks over at Whiting Clinic. They've got the most advanced lasers, they've got the most experience, and they've got the best price guaranteed. All the reasons you'd choose Whiting Clinic for your LASIK vision correction. Make this year the year that you get LASIK from Dr. David Whiting. Schedule your free LASIK exam at whitingclinic.com, and please tell them I sent you. That's whitingclinic.com to take the first step in having clear lens-free vision at Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Another one of the greatest guys in the world, who's from Michigan, by the way. Say? Bob Seeger. Just a great, great guy. I have never liked his music. You never have? No. Same you just pooped all over this Christmas. Yeah, way to go. I did. We had a great I've never time. liked Bob Seeger, and I've never liked Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi just got named to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Did he? I believe that. You find that interesting that he oh, yeah. was put in the Hall of Fame 17 years after your father was in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Seventeen. Interesting. You know, oh, you didn't know I'm in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What? Oh, you didn't know that? Why? How? How? how what? KQ Morning Show <laughs> is the example of '90s class, '90s rock and roll. That's because you were in Hall Jingle All the Way. So, and I, yeah, that's right. Got played by Martin Mull in Jingle <laughs> All the Way. Doppelganger. Yeah, he looks just like me, doesn't oh my he? God, so. No, that's weird. quite an honor, actually, when you look at the, that. The KQ Morning Show is in the Smithsonian. The National Radio Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and been, it is very. Nice. It's that been was a big career and a big show and a big radio station. But so. the greatest part of it still is to sit in here and he was. See, a guy like Robert Wagner would understand why it's so important to me that we do this show together. It is great the family doing the show together. I just love it. Except for when we talk. No, <laughs> when you all four talk at once. <laughs> yeah, that's different. Don't speak. You well, know, it wasn't our fault, really. I'm not blaming I totally anyone. blame those two. <laughs> <laughs> You're I'll blame everybody them. else. I'll blame everyone it. but me. It's just how it is. Alex, do you have to get going? Yeah. Well, I, I'm not going to be able to go to the grocery store anymore anyway, so I can wait another five minutes. What do you mean you can't go to the grocery store? I'm not going to have time to go to the grocery Why store. Why not? Because I have to be home by three. Well, then you better leave now because you're not going to get home by three if you don't leave right now. It doesn't take me 40 minutes to get home. It'd be 36. Yeah, it takes me 20 minutes. I can wait. I can stay for another five minutes. And then I All right. I and just she's going to get sure. a threatening letter from Aaron Stokes for sure. 
from Aaron Stokes? I've had one. <laughs> I've had yeah, two threatening Aaron, letters. Why don't you tell Aaron to calm down? Well, why do they have 17 parking spots? No, they'll get over it. When none of them are ever used. Yesterday, I moved one of the construction workers' water jug things that they saved their parking spot with. I was like, F that. And I didn't even park in that spot. I parked yeah, across from I it, know. but I walked in it. They also bring they cones. They don't they do that. They save them. I they just do what? They bring cones, and you're not supposed oh, to. When you leave that. the parking yeah. lot, I did see when that. you come back in, you're supposed to pay again. What? Remember, we got towed one time because we left the parking lot from a, for, at a dance thing, dance competition downtown Minneapolis, and we came back and our car was towed. I do towed. remember that. Yep. Oh my god. I do remember. And we that. had already we because we had paid, you know, and we were there all, you know, those dance competitions. They were like six, seven hours long. Yeah. We yes. left. We went to dinner. We came back and put, went in the same parking spot, even though it was the same license plate number, same spot, and everything. And they towed us. I know. And, but these guys just put cones. In the, yeah. in the spot, so nobody else can take them. Or they're bi- or like something. They'll put like there yeah, was a tire in one like, of the Yeah, sp- you yeah. guys go walk around, you know, drive around for 45 minutes looking yeah. for a parking spot That's like only, everyone else. It's only six more days. So yeah. now, whenever I see someone blocking a parking spot, I just move what they left. Good. Good. I'm like, so no. it should be. Why don't they just bust the construction workers in from somewhere else? Well, I'm sure because they come from all over the place. Yeah. They probably all live somewhere are, else. They're big KQ Morning Show listener and podcast listeners. So. Well, that's absolutely fine. Well, and I, I appreciate their work, and yes. I think they did have a hard job, but they shouldn't hog all the parking. Well, they oh, hog the parking. That's they all. They shouldn't have to park here is what it should be. Yeah, exactly. They all work the same hours, so just have them all park, you know, yeah, a couple blocks that. away, and then bust them over here so they're not taking all the parking spaces. But that spaces. would cost money. That's I got true. jobbed, by the way today. Oh no! Because I was driving in from from Third uh, Avenue, mm-hmm. and I got to a parking meter that was open about a block away from here. So I said, "Oh God, an open parking meter! I better take that." I took it. Walk up here, and there's an open parking spot right in front of the building. <sighs> Come on! Well, you what still you still got a very good parking spot. I, I wouldn't did. complain. I did. You're absolutely right. There's no getting around that. No. no There's no around. doubt about it. When an ash island formed in the Pacific Ocean following an underwater volcanic eruption in late 2014, scientists predicted it would soon disappear. Over the next six months, the island nestled between two others on the Tonga of the Tonga Nation, experienced heavy uh, erosion. But then it leveled off, NASA scientist Dan Slayback explains in a video. Three years later, Hunga Tonga Hunga. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. i got to get this whole name, Andy. Did yeah, you say Ash Island? Ash yes. Island, yeah. So it's made of ash. Volcanic mm-hmm. ash, yep. Well, that's not going to last for much. No. For a terribly three, long time, it's right? It's lasted three years. It says oh. it's predicted to last anywhere from six to 30 years. <clears throat> there you go. Well, it's 500 acres and 400 feet tall, so. Oh, oh that's my. a lot of ash. It's, yeah, that's quite a bit of ash. Hunga Tonga Hunga Ha'a'apai. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty name. Remains Sorry. reaching 400 feet above the ocean and covering almost 500 acres is predicted to last anywhere from six to 30 years, according to a new NASA study. Hmm. It's an exciting development for a couple of reasons. First, scientists say the mass uh, presents the first opportunity for the satellite era to carefully study how such islands form. Second, the island could help scientists learn more about similar eruptions far away on Mars. Everything we learn about what we see on Mars is based on the experience of interpreting Earth phenomena, says NASA's Jim Garvin. We think there were eruptions on Mars at a time when there were areas of persistent surface water. He adds, noting the new island could indicate whether Mars, thousands of volcanoes erupted beneath lakes or oceans, per the New York Times. NASA scientists who've been monitoring the island monthly since its birth 
using radar and optical sensors also hope to discover why it hasn't disappeared as predicted. A specific chemical reaction is suspected. In the case of the volcanic island Surtsey, formed near Iceland in 1963, warm seawater mixing with ash created a tougher rock than normal. Uh. A researcher notes the islands surrounding Hunga Tonga Hunga Haapai also have some pretty tough substrate. Um, mm. Well, didn't Al Gore say that all islands are going to be underwater by now? What happened? Well, not floating ash ones. Nah, not the floating ash well, ones. Are these floating around, or are they fixed to something? Floating. I think it's fixed. Oh. Yeah, I don't think I they're just, floating. When you said ash island, I just kind of envisioned this, you know, ash floating around yeah. and then just settling down onto the water and it's no, just floating about. It, here's a picture of it. It looks like volcanic. Yeah, oh, like, yeah, it just looks like a normal it, it volcanic It looks like Molokai flow. is what it looks like. Kind of, yeah. Molokai, right. yeah, Molokai looks like that. Well, it wouldn't be smart money to build anything on it. No, no. probably not going to build any Hunga Tonga Hunga Pa'a'a'a house or whatever. Beep, boop, beep, boop. Maybe temporary housing. Temporary housing? No, they couldn't know. tax it. They could raise our property taxes, though. That'd be good. So we could pay for it. <laughs> what do you guys think of that, by the way? The fact that, that uh, if they're talking about not being able to write off your state taxes, people in New York City, Chicago, and L.A. are going to, well, in the entire states of, of New York, Illinois, and California are going to take a huge punch from that. But the other side of that argument is, well, why should people in other states be subsidizing New York, Illinois, how, and California anyway? How are we subsidizing them? Well, because because a lot of states don't have any state tax, right? Yeah, but they still have property tax and sales tax and everything else. But, and if they have a tu- if they have tourism, then they have yeah. money coming in from that. Well, what they're that. saying is the fact that you can write off all of your state taxes on your on your federal taxes. That's money lost on federal taxes. Oh, okay. Because if you don't saying. pay state taxes, you can't write off state taxes. So now, if nobody can write them off, that would change everything. I just don't think it's going to pass, though. There's no way they're going to get away with not being able to write off your state taxes. I mean, some people's state taxes It should just be the huge. same for everybody. They should just go <clears throat> with a flat good. tax and get it over with. That's the only fair thing that they can do. I have to ask you a question about local government. Oh, they just voted, and I can't remember where it was. It was a national vote somewhere, and it doesn't really matter what it is, that they consider Minnesota to be one of the most successful states in the union. We went from a $2 billion surplus to $188 million in debt. How is that one of the most Six, successful states? What are they talking about? How successful how? Well, I would go by monetary measure. That's what I would do. Um, I don't know, but we're $188 million behind now. Well, spend it if you got it. Yeah, I guess, yeah. So I don't know. We'll see where this tax plan goes, whether it even passes Ugh, in the first place. Are you getting sick to death of it? I just wish that they would just, like I said, just do a flat tax and the property taxes. I, I don't. Think, I, I, I don't think that they should just be tacking on whatever they feel like and doing whatever they want with your property tax money and overreaching and doing all this stuff. I just think that they need to start being accountable for what's going on. Yeah. I mean, we obviously infrastructure is a huge thing, and that's what property taxes should be going for. Well, it's what they were intended for, schools and, schools, and infrastructure. Yes, and not all of this other stuff just so that people can stay in office and make promises to people. What were the things, again, they talked about in Ramsey County? They're going to raise the property taxes uh, 4%. by 4.3%, and the money's going to go toward expanding diversity? Yeah. That's not what? their job. No, it's not. That is overreach, and I think it should. it's probably not even constitutional. 
that they I can do that. I would have to agree that. with that. They it's can't like, just make up categories for property tax. I know. And they talk about affordable housing for people. You can't raising property tax is going to make it harder for people to afford housing. I would agree. You just keep raising it and raising it and tacking on all this crazy stuff that nobody even, you know, it, shouldn't we have a conversation about it or maybe even vote on it? A problem that we do do have is that uh, uh, if they take away that uh, the interest, you can do a combined $10,000 between your state taxes and the interest you pay on your house, your property taxes. Yeah. Um, two, uh, it's, it, it's going to destroy the housing market because nobody's going to buy a house. Well, people will still want to own homes. Well, but I would hope. You know, some, I don't know. Is it worth know. owning a home if, if you can't write any of it off? I don't know if it's worth owning a home if you can't write that stuff off. Well, what's going to happen to all the houses that are single-family homes? Well, you'll get no argument from me. Live in a yurt. Yep. A yurt in the woods. Oh, like Alex, it. it's a big smile on her face about living in a yurt. I'm going to live in a yurt. Honest to God. I don't think you do. Dan always talks about getting a bigger house one day, and I'm like, no, smaller <laughs> house. Your house is plenty big for two people well, well wait, three we're gonna and soon four, four. yeah soon four and then maybe 12 <laughs> yeah what a great idea did you hear about that robot thing that was tr- they were trying to um well i guess it's an actual thing it's a robot that somehow patrols around and they were using one in san francisco because there were so many people squatting on the sidewalks that people couldn't even get into their business. I mean, so there like are so... On the sidewalks, oh, anyway. they're doing yeah. all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. And this, this robot um, somehow uses sensors and lasers and <laughs> alerts the uh, property owners when people are doing things. I don't... It's amazingly high-tech. And so the homeless people were wiping feces all over yep. the, the sensors and oh tipping it over yep. and doing everything they can. And then the government came in and said... Oh, you can't have that. That's not that's not fair. You can't have a robot doing that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why not? And they're like, well, we're having all of this crime, and we can't use the sidewalks, and people can't even get into our businesses, and people are defecating all over the place. They and, are, yeah. And littering all over the place. What are we supposed to do since you guys won't do a thing about it? San Francisco is going to be the uh, country's biggest ghetto in about 20 years. I don't even think it'll take 20 years. Well, why not let, you know, if you if you move to a place that has a really mild climate, you can live in the nicest areas and not have to pay a dime yeah, right. to live there. Well, I mean, they're having a problem with people putting up tents on sidewalks all through the state of California. Yes, they're because they're up, allowing it. They're well, pitching a tent on the sidewalk. Well, they they pay mm. homeless people. They get a they yeah, get they a do. they get like a thousand dollars a month or something. I know it's unbelievable. Yeah. San Francisco is the second most uh, violent city in the country. Isn't that amazing? How much do they well, give their? It's pretty bad. Give their homeless people. Todd, I, I know that they get a they get money. If you live in San Francisco, you have a one in hundred twenty seven chance of being a victim of a violent crime. <laughs> Jeez. God. Oh, one in one twenty-seven. That's not too bad. The one in twenty-seven. Oh, I thought you said one twenty-seven. I did. Oh, I thought you said twenty-seven. Well, one in one twenty-seven is very, very bad considering. That's very bad. Yes. The national median is uh, less than half of that. Oh, well, one in, uh, the national median would be like one in three hundred. So didn't Josh Basham pretend to be homeless for like a week? Yes, he did. Yeah, and no, not even a week, just like a few days. And he just sat there. He didn't do anything to ask for money he sat there and had like a bowl in front of him or something right. and if he would have made that same amount every single day he would have ended up making like fifty thousand dollars a year 
Isn't that just amazing? Tax-free. So it's more like $100,000 a year. One in 16 (laughs) chance of being a victim of a property crime. One in 16. That's horrible. Well, that's where the nation is going. How many people live in San Francisco, Andy? Uh, 864,000. 864,000. So people are being beaten and robbed and whatever every day. San Francisco has a four times higher uh, rate of motor vehicle theft than the rest of the U.S. and three times higher rate of theft. There you have it. Well, I would say we'll be back, but Catherine and Alex won't be back. They're going to hit the road. But Melina and Andy and I will hold down the fort. And also, Zara Hayes will be our special guest up next on Bernard Show. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment. Sabre Techs give you the service you need, not the other stuff that you don't need. When you combine that with Sabre's A rating for customer service and the best equipment from Bryant, you get exactly what you need. So make the call to Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning today. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. This is Tom, and I want to tell you a story about camping. A guy named Tim, his back pain, and his angry wife. You see, Tim went camping with his family, but he aggravated his recurring back problem a couple of days before when he was golfing with his buddies. His wife had to set up the campsite and do all the heavy lifting, and Tim couldn't do a whole lot with the two kids. Tim was not a happy camper. And neither was his wife. The following Monday, Tim's wife got him an appointment at Hopkins Health and Wellness Center, a DMR method clinic. Their team of physical therapists and chiropractors figured out what was really wrong with his back, quickly got him out of pain, and taught him how to keep it from coming back. And what did Tim say was the biggest benefit of finally handling his back problem? Happy wife, happy life. DMR clinics are a group of physical therapists, chiropractors, and allied medical spine specialists that can help you feel better fast. They have a 96% success rate. It's covered by insurance, and you don't need a referral. They have convenient locations in Hopkins, Woodbury, Rogers, and Blaine. For a free consultation, go to dmrmethod.com. That's dmrmethod.com. What are you playing now? It's Clarence Carter. Backdoor Santa? Not a good name. Not a good name. (laughs) Let's go with not a good name. Zara Hayes, our special guest. How are you doing, Zara? Oh, I'm well, thank you. How are you? Marvelous. Everything's wonderful. Zara Hayes with us (laughs) talking about Diane Fossey's Secrets in the Mist premiered, as a matter of fact, about a, a week ago yesterday, correct? Uh, yes, that's Na- right. National Geographic Channel. The series is filled with Fossey's own observations, recorded in her writings and brought to life by Sigourney Weaver, who has a special connection to Fossey. Weaver won a Golden Globe and was nominated for an Oscar for her portrayal of Fossey in the 1988 film Gorillas in the Mist. That was a great movie, as a matter of fact. <laughs> it was indeed. I think it's a role that sort of changed her life, actually. And she's, uh, she's kept her relationship with gorillas going ever since. Oh, has she really? Yeah, Sigourney Weaver is, um, yeah, she's heavily involved in the kind of gorilla conservation world. She's, uh, she's taken it upon herself, really. She says once she had the experience of going to Rwanda and, and meeting the gorillas and sort of filming with them, she couldn't ever let it go. And she's uh, dedicated a lot of her life to it, actually. Yeah, she's the honorary chair of the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund. 
and internationally, and um, she does lots of work with them. You know, it's interesting. Diane Fossey's Secrets in the Mist tells Fossey's life story from her lonely childhood to her work in Rwanda. Do you think the fact that she was a lonely child had something to do with all of this? I, I definitely do. I mean, it's that, you know, one doesn't want to kind of be an armchair psychologist too much about it, but I think the fact that she seemed to find always find a connection with animals even in childhood she she loved horses and she had pets and and she felt most comfortable around animals and she always had these fantasies of going on safari and seeing animals in the wild and um definitely over the course of her life you saw that it was difficult for her to let people in and make connections with people uh towards the end and she was betrayed by by the great love of her life and i think all of that does play into um who she was and who she became, for sure. Oh, wait a minute. Can we go back a second? She was betrayed by, by whom? She had um, uh, this great love affair with a, a man named Bob Campbell, who oh. was a photographer for National Geographic, who came to um, document her story for National Geographic, and they fell in love, and they had this affair, and it was very intense, and they were alone on the mountain together, and, you know, they she wanted him to stay and, and sort of become her partner and she wanted a partner in life. And um, he actually was married the whole time and, and told her that he, yeah, and told her that he was going back to his wife. And that seemed like the moment when she really sort of um, intri- became entrenched in her belief that she would put, put her effort into animals and not people. Um, and uh, but the thing is that there's a misconception about Diane that she was kind of this misanthropic person, and everybody we spoke to and everybody we interviewed said that she actually loved, try, you know, making human connections and and having relationships with people. But that certainly changed after Bob left. You know, Zara, it's really sad because she grows up as a lonely child, and then she does her work in Rwanda. Uh, the series does detail her close friendship with a young gorilla, Digit, and then Digit gets mercilessly mutilated and decapitated by poachers. And this woman had zero luck with the human species. Absolutely, yeah. Um, someone, someone said on Twitter in response to the uh, the first episode, which I thought was really interesting. Diane Fossey was killed by the most dangerous animal on the planet, human beings. Well, um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Which sort of really struck a cold with me because um, definitely she 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 didn't have much luck. And actually, if she had two loves of her life, they were Bob Campbell, the photographer, and Digit the gorilla. And Digit the gorilla, yeah, was mercilessly murdered by poachers. And that was also a huge turning point in her life. And it was very dramatic and very sad. I wonder... Um, Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was just saying we we were lucky lucky enough, if that's the right word, to have this incredible footage of, of Digit's body being brought back to the oh, cabin yeah. and Diane seeing it for the first time, and and you can just see on her face the the emotion and the how distraught she is about it, and I think that's a turning point in her life, just as much as Bob leaving was. You know, I have a question for you, or an observation, I guess, more than a question, but I do want to get your take on it. So, Bob Campbell was with her for how long? It was a couple of years. A couple of years. Why did he find it necessary to tell her at the end of it all that he was married? Why didn't he just say, oh, I'm sorry, I've been called back. Uh, I have a job I need to do. And why did he have to tell her, you know what, I've been cheating on my wife this whole time? I don't understand why he had to be so cruel about it. (laughs) 
she did know that he was married, but oh, she, she hoped did. that he would. She did, but she oh. hoped that, um, you know, he was far away from his wife. She lived in Nairobi and mm. he was working in Rwanda for long stretches of time, like months at a time, and then would go back to her. And um, she had the hope that he would, as she says in her own writings, be true to himself because they did love each other from her perspective, mm-hmm. at least. I don't, I don't know about him, but um, she felt that they had something real and that they could be partners. And, and he eventually, you know, he kind of kept it going for as long as he could, but um, the project came to an end. He couldn't really justify being there anymore. Right, and he right. didn't He didn't want to live there. And and, and some one of the most interesting things that somebody says is Kelly Stewart, one of our interviewees, she says, but the thing is, Diane didn't offer to go and follow him around the world doing his photography. She said, you, I'd like to be with you if you stayed here with me. And that was her terms. And she, she was uncompromising that about her focus on the gorillas and that her priority was in protecting these animals and being here to study and protect them. So it's complex, right? Because she, she wasn't prepared to sacrifice that life choice for him either, mm, which right, I think is right. very telling about her. Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. Now, Wayne McGuire was a very close mm. friend of hers, correct? Yeah, well, they'd known each other. They'd known each other for a few, um, just a few months. He he arrived um, a couple of months before her murder, so they they hadn't spent too long together. But he was a PhD student coming mm-hmm. to do his research uh, with her at her research station on the mountain, and uh, in those situations, there's, there's no one else really around. There's only Diane and then one or two research students and you know the rest of it is animal interaction so um right in it's quite an intense um environment which is something that we really tried to convey in the series which is that you know you're at 10,000 feet you're in a um upper mountain with no electricity and no running water and it's freezing cold at night and um yeah you do I guess the, the people that you interact with, it places extra weight on, on that. Um, no, so they got to know each other pretty well, I think. And she opened up to him in a way that she didn't to other people, um, which he says um, in the in speaking to him and in the interview, he says he thinks it was because, um, you know, they shared, uh, they shared a lot of understanding about family history and... Um, he was able to sort of ask her about her relationship with her parents and she was honest with him about it in a way that a lot of people couldn't couldn't connect with her in that way and she, everybody says it was clear she had an unhappy childhood but he seems to have got deeper with her why did they think that he's the one that killed her because he, he was actually convicted of her murder right but now he evi- was, yeah. yeah and the evidence shows he, that he probably didn't do it though is that not correct yeah that is correct i mean that's the thing that we really wanted to show is that um uh, the grounds on which Wayne was convicted are um, very, very shaky grounds, and um, they wouldn't stand up to any contemporary legal uh, system, really, in the world, probably. Um, so there wasn't really uh, any proof or any evidence that he did it. It, it seems to be that the only basis was that he he was the he was the only person around that night mm-hmm. in the camp. Um, and so uh, they, they sort of pointed the finger at him. There, there is this piece of evidence of, of some hair that was found in Diane's hand when she was 
lying on the ground dead. She had some hair visible in both of her hands and um, with clutched in her, in her fists. And there's a whole thing that we go into in the documentary about this hair evidence and how the Rwandans alleged that one of the hairs in Diane's right hand belonged to Wayne Maguire, but they never tested Wayne Maguire's hair oh. um, <laughs> to be able to do a comparison. So they, they, they said that they found, they sent it off for analysis, it, and they found that it was one single strand of hair in her right hand was a white person's hair, a Caucasian hair, that was not um, Diane's own hair which contradicts entirely the evidence that the FBI um, sent back because they also analysed um, a sample of the hair in Diane's hands and found that you couldn't make a conclusion from it, i.e. it could quite well have been Diane's own hair that she, when she was clutching the back of her head as she was being attacked, she kind of pulled her own hair out. So there is a bit of intrigue around this hair, but basically we show that... Um, it doesn't really stand up. I mean, anybody now who watches that with a contemporary lens, anyone who's watched any sort of crime TV shows, the first thing you think is, well, why wouldn't you take a sample of Wayne's right, to compare right. it? So, you know, there are so many ways in which it's kind of... Um, one of the contributors uses the word farcical, you know, to describe the, the way the legal process went. And um, I think uh, that's shared by by lots of people. And I And I also think... You know, we, we detail for the first time, really, that the American embassy basically helped, tipped Wayne off and sort of told him to leave the country. You're right. Because they'd been told that they're about to um, to arrest him for it. So um, it seems like a convenient conclusion for all involved, really, that, that Wayne is convicted but not in the country to have to face the, the death penalty of the firing squad, that, which is what it was at the time. It was death by firing squad. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that, but there's all, you know, all of this stuff about Diane's murder and, and, and the kind of collateral damage of, of Diane's death and the, how unresolved it all is just isn't known. And, and that's something we felt it was really important to sort of bring to light, really. Did they, did the locals object to her presence there? Some did. I mean, yeah. I think, um, like all things with Diane, it's, <laughs> it's a complex, uh, answer there's lots of contradictions i think she was um she wasn't known about for a long time because um rwandans at the time didn't really uh know didn't really understand why anybody would be interested in going to live in the forest they had this word for her that meant um that meet that translates as the woman who lives alone in the forest without a man <laughs> and that's kind of how they viewed her um, like this, I mean, what is a woman doing? What's a six-foot-tall white woman doing, living in a hut in the in the forest? Mm -hmm. Like, no one wants to live in the forest. Like, you know, that they just didn't understand what she was doing, and and what and, you know, the gorillas. They didn't see them as as something to be um, preserved necessarily. Um, they didn't necessarily. It wasn't in their culture really to to view animals in that way, and. As she kind of got more and more famous in the West through things like National Geographic and being on the front cover and then being on Carson's show and like, you know, she became a huge star. Mm -hmm. um, it was clear, I mean, because she was bringing money in and so she became kind of infamous, I think, in Rwanda. I think that's probably a good way to put it, a word for it, which was that, and she divided uh, opinion. I think some people dearly loved her to the end at all levels of society and saw what she was doing. 
and other people, you know, she got in their way. She she was incredibly headstrong and she took the law into her own hands um, and she uh, meddled in business that was not hers to meddle in. And at the end of the day, she was a foreigner in a, right. someone else's country, <laughs> sort of, you know, being a sort of vigilante um, protector of the gorillas, a sort of self-imposed um, lawmaker. I mean, so... <laughs> You know, it's really difficult um, to sort of characterize it because even to the end, she had people really high up who really valued her and, and loved her and, and people who desperately wanted her out of the way. And that tension was always there, I think. But um, the good news is that t today in Rwanda, she's definitely a hero. You know, she's, um, they had a, a every year they have a gorilla naming ceremony for any new baby gorillas that have been born and they named one in her honor this year and you know that her grave is is kept there and people do tours to go and see the grave and pay respects and she's really valued and respected today in rwanda for sure it is a wonderful thing national geographic channel diane fossey secrets in the mist zara thank you very much for your time I learned a lot today no thank you have a wonderful day. I hope you enjoy the series. Okay, bye-bye. Absolutely, bye-bye. Zara Hayes, ladies and gentlemen, what an interesting story. You know what I find interesting about that is that in America we believe, oh, yes, I understand your culture completely, even though I don't live in it. I know exactly how this person, that person, that person, I know just how your culture goes. This is absolute proof that we kind of make some pretty strange assumptions in this country. You don't have any clue what the other people's cultures are. No. You just don't. So but they do know that ours is worse than theirs. Yeah, well, there is that. That's going to do it for today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Tom Bernard Show.